morning. At this time, I'm going to dismiss the children down to Children's, uh, the Gospel Project, Children's Church downstairs. <clears throat> Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. It's a little bit windy outside, but we got a little bit of uh, unusual heat this morning. Do we not? I mean, the snow's melted, everything's muddy. <laughs> Get on the bright side of it, I guess. Um, my name is Jeremy Kelly. I'm one of the elders here. We are continuing our series this morning um, called We Shall Be Like Him. And we're taking a few weeks and walking through issues related to sanctification and becoming more like Christ. And this morning, my task is actually large. It is dealing with the Spirit's work in relationship to our sanctification. And to that end, we are looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So, I want to tell you this morning, we have some Bible work to do together, okay? This is a, it's a big chapter, um, and it's worth walking through and taking a look at, and just see what the Word of God says in relationship to, to our sanctification from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So read it with me this morning, and then we're going to jump around a little bit and walk through it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, originally Mike had... Uh, kind of assigned verses 7 through 18, um, and there'll be some focus there, but I think it's worth reading the whole chapter this morning. So let's read it all together, starting in verse 1. Are we, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you, or from you? Verse 2, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which is being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of, the, of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that was being brought to an end, I'm sorry, verse 11. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we're very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses 
is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's the word of the Lord. Amen? Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Long after we're gone, the word of the Lord remains. Amen? What an incredible chapter. The title of our series is, We Shall Be Like Him. You know, I was thinking this morning, um, not to be crass, I was in the shower, but in the bathroom, where a lot of thinking takes place, right? It's a peaceful place. Someone smarter than me named it a restroom, because there's rest, right? <clears throat> when you have four kids, it's a place where the door shuts and no one else can come in. Um, so anyway, sorry. I was thinking, and, and I, I began to contemplate a story. Long before I was born, not that long. He's in the room. Um, a couple teenagers met locally. At 15 and 18 or 19, they hit it off. One came from a family who's, uh, that had fallen apart. Dad had left. A lot of difficulty. The other one came from a family where dad had passed away, young. And he went to work at a young age. At 17, she was pregnant. They got married. Firstborn was at the wedding in her belly and at her high school graduation. A lot of history of uh, alcohol in the house and anger. And that continued into their young marriage. Teenagers, early pregnancy, alcoholism, anger, kids right away. At first thought, how do you think that story is going to go? At first glance, looking from the outside... We could all probably venture a guess at how this story ends. I mean, what is the likelihood in today's age that with all of those disadvantages and all those difficulties and all of that, all of those issues going around, that that's going abs- that to work out, that that's going to go well, that that marriage is going to last, that the kids are going to end up okay, that the family is going to progress in a way differently from the families that produce these two young people. And yet we see my in-laws, Bob and Debbie, with 43 years of marriage, marriage counselors at our church, when people's marriage is in trouble, we go to them. Let's talk through this. Raised beautiful kids, have tons of grandkids, most of which serving the Lord and know Jesus today. And they... As two people, one of which is going to be presented to the congregation for eldership in the next couple of months, we see these two people with soft hearts responded to the gospel in 43 years 
in one of the most loving marriages that is an example to me and my wife to this day. How does that happen? What intervenes in that situation to make that story be what it is today? And here we see Paul laying out in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it does in the life of a human being when, when they encounter it. Amen? We see this idea of, of sanctification, of glory to glory. And, and let's walk through it together because Paul paints a beautiful picture here. We see in the first couple of verses where he's talking about these letters of recommendation. What are these letters of recommendation he's referring to? In, in, in this day in the early church, as church leaders would travel from city to city, the congregants would write letters of recommendation to go before them or go with them to testify to the church that they were going to speak at of their maturity and of their wisdom and of their Christ-like nature and, and ability to teach. And so there would be letters of recommendation written that says basically, Paul legitimately is an apostle. He's okay. You should listen to him. Peter is this, James, whatever. They would send these letters, written letters of recommendation. And so Paul, in referencing them and speaking to the Corinthian church, he says to them in verse 2, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul is beginning to, to make this metaphor. He's beginning to reference something here using the example of these letters of recommendation. And here's what Paul says. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 2, he basically, he doesn't, he doesn't basically, he says, you're the, you're the seal of my apostleship, speaking to the Corinthians, in the Lord. If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship to the Lord. And he's saying, listen, more effective than a letter written by you to another church to say, yeah, I'm legitimately an apostle, Paul is saying, you, your lives, what's going on in your hearts, the way that you're living, the change as a result of the gospel and, and my preaching of the gospel to you, you're the greatest letter of recommendation. So, so much more so than a letter written with ink is what's going on in your heart. So much more so than what's on stone, it's what's going on in your heart. And he makes this, this metaphor. What an interesting picture. Because Paul's about to launch into a description of what God has done in the new covenant, what God has done in the hearts of men because of Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on to say, you're my letter of recommendation. And then in, in verse 3, he, he puts the, the credit where it's due and, and demonstrates to them, it's not just the fact that I preached to you and, and now something remarkable is going on in your heart, but it's Christ. I was just an instrument. And Paul depicts in verse 3 that I'm just a pen I'm just the, I'm the instrument. I'm just the pen of what Christ was writing in your hearts, what Christ was doing in your hearts. He's the one who actually did it. I was just the instrument. I was just the mouthpiece. Boy, that says something to me. Just, just as Paul speaks of his ministry, 
Those of us that live lives that reflect the glory of God, which we're going to talk more about, or those of us that preach the word of God, this idea that, that God encounters human, human voices, human effort, and, and, and illuminates the reality of his word to people's hearts in such a way that they encounter Christ's death and burial and resurrection and ascension, and it, and it takes them from death to life, and they opens their eyes, and it, in essence, regenerates a heart. The fact that God works in that, how many of you guys find that as amazing as I do this morning? What an amazing thing. Boy, do I remember several occasions throughout my life, hearing the word of God preached and feeling in my heart, God just boom, boom, just my heart pounding out of my chest, the veil kind of falling off and in the reality, the illumination of the spirit of God in conjunction with the word of God, opening up my heart in such a way that I began to recognize my sin and recognize my need for God and, and respond. And, and what we see here in the word of God is that is really just the work of Christ in the heart of somebody. What an amazing thing that he does. And he does it as human beings speak the word of God. God, in conjunction with the word, his spirit illuminates to their hearts and moves on their hearts. What a powerful reality that he uses us. What God does, he does through people, through his people. That amazing. So what is this that's going on? As people are are becoming an epistle, not just the written word, but the people themselves are an epistle. They're a letter. How does that happen? As Christ moves in people's hearts, Paul says, "You're my letter of recommendation. I'm just the pen in the hand of Christ. The work of God's grace displays the gospel in the Corinthian church." It, you know, it may, <clears throat> excuse me, makes me think a little bit, just introspectively. What, what does my epistle read when people open it up and look at it? As people look at my life, as people take a look at what's written on my heart, what comes out of my life from my heart, what does my epistle read like? As God is working in me. We, we preach a series like this, we engage the word like this, so that God will illuminate his word to our hearts and change us, amen? And that's my prayer this morning. As we look at this passage, as I was reading this this morning again, and looking through it, my prayer was simply this, by your word, change me. Just change me. Change my heart. In essence, that is, that is, that, that's boiled down the essence of repentance. God God, you turn me and I'll be turned. God, you, you do a work in my heart and turn it into flesh. Break up the stone in my heart and make it flesh. Enable me to respond. Enable me to hear. I mean, we're talking about sanctification here. So really, in essence, what we're getting at is here we are, those who have responded to the gospel, if that's you, and, and you've come to Christ and you're saying, I want to be more like you. I want my life to change. I want my story, the letter of my life, to be written in such a way that it, it reflects the glory of God. It depicts the glory of God. And, and, and so our prayer this morning is by your word, through your spirit, soften my heart, make it like flesh, and change me. Turn me and I'll be churn, turned. Illuminate your word to me so that, so that I see it, 
and I'm not blinded to it, and it begins to change my life in a meaningful way. Amen? The Spirit's role in sanctification. And so we see Paul using this picture that, that you're a letter, Corinthian church. You're my epistle. You're the best letter recommendation I have. If anyone's wondering if I'm an apostle, they look at you as a church. They look at your lives. And it really wasn't me. It was Christ's work in your life. It was the grace of Christ in your life. I was just the instrument. I was just the pen. And you become an example of the glory of God, of the grace of God. Paul says his apostleship is certain, not because of a letter, but because of what's written on men's hearts. And he says, it's known and it's read by all. Look at that in verse 2. You yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. You show that you're a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written, not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves or claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. What is he talking about here? What is this picture that he's painting of ink and spirit, of stone and fleshy heart? And it, and it really rings. And, and, and what he's demonstrating is what's happening here is, is I have preached the gospel to you. And Christ has done something in your hearts to the degree that you become a letter of recommendation stating that my apostleship is certain and that I really am an apostle of God. What's happening in your hearts through the preaching of the word is, is a fulfillment of prophecy that we knew about when God declared his new covenant. And if you turn with me to Jeremiah 31, you'll see that. God promised this in Jeremiah, what Paul's talking about. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For as this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. And they will be my people. Amen? And so here we see this, this difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. We see this, this better glory as Paul begins to describe in reference to Moses and to what's happening in the hearts of the people in the church at Corinth. And he references this, this new heart. He references this prophecy of Jeremiah 31, 31, that, that God was no longer going to, going to be the God of the covenant, that, or he's going to be the God of the covenant, but his covenant is new. The old covenant was, was written on tablets of stone, the law. Moses came down with these, these tablets of stone where the law, the rules were etched in stone. And that had glory. There was glory to it. Here's the glory of that. The glory of that is we now understand because of the law where we fall short. We, it's referenced often the, the idea of a plumb line and a carpenter. You don't know the wall's crooked 
until you drop the plumb line and actually see what's straight, right? With the naked eye, you can't always see if something's crooked. But when you drop the plumb line and you see what's perfectly straight and you line it up against the wall, you can go, up. Oh, it's crooked. And what the law etched in stone did for us is God declared to us who he is, who we are in relationship to him and, and what his, uh, his perfect law was for human flourishing. And as we look at the law, we see what is perfect. We see what is right. And we come to a very real and immediate recognition that we are not that. Amen? There's, there's an ability to recognize our own sin when we get to know what sin is. Amen? Hey, folks, this is, there's a glory in that. There's a very real importance in that. You can't get the solution until you know you have a problem. Amen? There's no need for the cure until you recognize you have a disease. And the disease of sin is our biggest problem. The disease of sin and death is the biggest problem that we have. And many people are blinded to the idea that there's even something wrong. Boy, is that worse. What the law of God did in the old covenant is it declared to them the law, the perfect law of God. What righteousness was. People didn't even know. We didn't even know what righteousness is until God tells us. But it brought death. It brought death because the old covenant came with a requirement to obey but without the power to do so. A requirement to obey, but no power to do so. Paul says that's death. That was the death sentence. From the fall, through God's covenant with Moses, declaring to Moses who he was, I am that I am. This is who I am, Moses. I'm invading human life to demonstrate to you that I exist and this is who I am. And he called the people and set them apart, pulled them out of Egypt and said, this is how human beings are supposed to live. This is how I designed it and this is how you'll flourish. And this is who I am. This is who you are. And the law came down, but there was no power to live up to the glory of God. But God declares in Jeremiah, listen, I get it, but there's coming a day where I will make a new covenant with my people. And the law is not going to just be on stones without the power to live up to it, where you recognize your own sin, but don't have the ability to get there. I'm going to write my law in your hearts. I'm going to do it for you. Amen? And this is of greater glory. So Paul's painting this picture of sanctification. And really justification, which is the first step. Verse 7. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there is glory in the ministry of condemnation... The ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. 
The letter, to the, the letter that is the life of the Corinthians is superior to ink letters that are passed around by Paul's opponents. And the fruit of Paul's ministry connected to this Old Testament prophecy fulfillment from Jeremiah and Ezekiel is that, that the law of God will be written on hearts. And, and this inability to obey is now because of the gospel and because of the work of Christ comes with a law a moral law written on our hearts with power through the Spirit of God to obey him, to, in essence, in conclusion, uh, love God in a way that we were never able to love God and now love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen? Is that not how it's boiled down? It's really boiled down to this, that, that in Christ, through the gospel, the law of God is written on our hearts, and we live into the law, which, which is summarized in this, that we would love God and that we would love each other. Look at Romans 13. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Take a look at that. So how does this play out? How does this sanctification play out in salvation? Romans 13, verse 8. Owe to no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. What a powerful picture. From death to life. From stone to flesh. From ink letters to what's written on our hearts. And what we're seeing here is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the Spirit's work in the life of a believer that brings us to sanctification? First it's this. It's that Jesus came, and he fulfilled the law. He lived the life that we couldn't live. That obedience that was required of us without the power to attain it was attained by Christ. Christ came, and he attained it. He lived it to the letter of the law. And then, as we see in Romans, his righteousness, his alien righteousness, is, is, is ours now. There's an exchange. Our unrighteousness is exchanged for his righteousness his death that paid for sin is the substitute for the death that we deserve and so jesus in the gospel now enables us in response to that to live a life that knows god that that continues to obey god and that loves him and that loves each other isn't that a beautiful picture it's a transforming work it's a work that goes from reading a bunch of rules that you can't follow to now having a savior that does something in your heart that changes your desires. It's a savior that does something in your heart that changes the way you live. It's a savior that does something in your heart that causes a response in you. It's important that we get the order right. See, what we see is in Christ... There is justification. In Christ, as Mike prayed earlier, 
there is a definitive thing that happens in our lives, and it's just objectively true. We see in Romans chapter 3, the, the legal exchange, that because of Jesus, you and, he, you and me are declared not guilty. Because of Jesus, you are positionally justified. Because here's what happens. God looks now not at you and me and all of our screw-ups and everything we've done wrong. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. And he declares in his courtroom, not guilty. Amen? Good news. You didn't earn it. You couldn't. If you could earn it, Christ died for nothing. That's what Galatians says. You didn't add to it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You brought nothing to the table. Jesus accomplished it. Jesus accomplished living the law perfectly, fulfilling the old covenant. And then the only one. Think about this. The only one who didn't deserve to experience God's wrath for sin is the one who stepped in our place and took it. The only one... You see this cry in Peter before Jesus goes to the cross where he gets down on his knee and he's about to go to the cross and he, he takes a towel and Jesus goes to, to wipe Peter's feet and Peter cries out, No! Rabbi? Not you? Don't get on your knees in front of me. Don't pick up the towel where the servant sits at the door to wipe the dung off people's feet. You don't get down on your knees and pick up that towel and come to me. You can't wash my feet. Who are you to do that? Why would you do that? You're the rabbi. And Peter's culturally, Peter's mind is blown. How could you take the place of that servant? Jesus looks at him and he says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. Peter goes, well, then wash, wash me from head to toe. Jesus, painting the picture of what he was about to do. He was about to become the most despicable sight in the history of the world. As the wrath of God for sin, saved up from Adam to the end of the world, all of his wrath for sin was poured out on Christ for us. And John 13 says, if you don't know him as servant Lord, you don't get to know him at all. Jesus fulfilled the law. And then the only one who didn't deserve to experience the punishment for sin. He served us in that. He served us in that. He became our servant. The, picture this for a moment, just, just if you will with me. Just, you know you better than I do. Like, in the moments where you're alone, okay? Because it's easy to talk about this in a group setting. In the moments when you're alone, you know your life. 
You know your, your shortcomings. You know you're prone to, in the moment you're prone to anger, in the moment you're prone to lust, in the moment you're prone to be uh, someone who betrays, in the moment you're, you're prone to be uh, not loyal, in the moments you're prone to not be integ- have integrity, in the moments, all, all, of your, all of the depth of your moments that are the worst of you and the best of you, whatever it is, you know it. And when you sit alone and you, and you think about yourself, that you know who you are in the darkest part of your life. In the perfect, holy, gracious, loving, all-powerful God of the universe got up off of his throne and he came to you, not this group, you personally, and he got down on a knee and picked up a towel to wipe your feet. If that doesn't blow your mind, if the reality of what God did for you doesn't crack through the stone of your heart and cause it to be a heart of flesh, Cause the response of your life to say, Jesus, wash all of me. Whatever you need. Then you're not hearing the gospel. And here's the reality of the grace of God. Nobody encounters that and walks away the same. The idea that you would now begin to live a life from glory to glory, loving your neighbor better, loving your wife better, treating your kids better, working harder, being more loyal, being more integral, living into the reality of what God has designed for us that is best for human flourishing, God's law. You walk away from that experience and you do those things in an increasing measure because what happens in the gospel is God changes your heart And now his glory that was diminishing from the time Moses went to Mount Sinai and came down. It's now increasing because of Christ. You hear me this morning? What we see in this passage is Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the law. And he was in the presence of God and his face was glowing and he veiled it. But it was diminishing. And now because of Christ in your life, in your heart. It is now ever increasing. It's growing from glory to glory, from moment to moment, because of the Spirit of God in your life. And what do we say? I got to get to it quickly. There's so much more to talk about. In verse 17, what do we see? Beholding the Lord, we are transformed. So you say, what is the point of all this? I'm in the wrong book, sorry. Now the Lord is the Spirit, verse 17. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, listen to this, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the, of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is Spirit. The Lord's Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we are now, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed, moment to moment. Moses came down from the mountain, 
passage that Paul's using to contrast with. He's got veiled face. And what were the people doing? What were they doing? They were beholding the glory of the golden calf they had just built. And Moses came down. And they looked at his face and it was glowing. Because he had just been in the presence of God. Say, Jeremy, okay. So what is the application point here for my life? For my nine to five? For my day to day? What what am I going to do with this? If I could say anything from rising from this passage. It says, a follower of Jesus. I'm saying this to myself as much as I'm saying it to you. I need to spend more time in my life beholding Jesus than all the golden calves that seem to be so prone to distract me. Man, is there a lot of stuff that we are prone to worship that is so much less than that is such a diminishing, counterfeit, dim glory in comparison, in comparison to the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know we could sit here this morning as we reflect on this and think of our lives. And I ask myself that question. I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you this morning. What do I spend my time beholding? What do I spend my time reflecting? When I was a young youth pastor back in the day in Bible college, there was a guy that was kind of a mentor to me. And I just spent a lot of time with him. Tons of time. Let him mentor me. Worked with him in his youth ministry. Worked with him in his inner city ministry. Um, Stayed at his house. Ran with him. I hated running. And he was like a former NBA player and was still like a professional level athlete. And he's like, let's go for a run. And I'm like, all right. So he'd get me up early in the morning, drag me out of my dorm. And, And he's like, when he says go for a run, he's like, let's go like 10 miles. You know what I mean? Like serious run. And I'm like, all right. I just wanted to be with him. And those of you who know me knows that means I really wanted to be with this guy. And we would run. We'd run through northeast Portland. I was out in Portland, Oregon in college. And I'll never forget, we would get like from northeast 92nd, and we'd get all the way down to like, I don't know, 30-something. And I'd literally, this happened. I'd be like, dude, you know anybody that lives around here? Because I want to ride back. Like, we have gone too far for me now to return. Like, <clears throat> and the further, the further we were running, I, I just remember thinking to myself, we, we still got to go back. Like, we're still going away from where I want to be, you know? <clears throat> and a couple times he did let me get a ride back with somebody. <clears throat> or, I, or I was just like, dude, I'm going to Starbucks right here. When you run back, grab your car and come get me, <laughs> you know? But here's what's funny, is I spent this time with this guy, and I was kind of traveling around and doing some preaching and speaking at youth conferences, and a buddy of mine would be like, dude, you sound just like Eric Knox. This was my friend, Eric. You sound just like Eric. And I go preach at youth conference and be like, even the cadence of your voice 
the way that you're talking, the way that you're speaking, the way that you're saying things, you just sound just like them. This is hilarious. And I realized it. Like, wow, I'm starting to sound like this. I'm spending so much time with him. I'm listening to him so carefully. I'm being in such a way that now when I go out, I sound just like him. It's almost like that my brother-in-law years ago moved to Tennessee. He's grown up in New York his entire life, right? I went down to visit him in Nashville, and he like, looked at me. He's like, hey, y'all want to get something to eat? And I looked at him like, what? Did you just say y'all? Dude, you're from Salve. You don't say y'all. Like, <clears throat> Folks, we need to spend some time beholding the glory of God in our lives. Not Netflix, not Prime. We, we need to get here, we need to worship, we need to behold, we need to keep the gospel in front of us, we need to read the scriptures, we need to pray together, we need to sing to we, the, the The fact that, that Ethan, because I know Ethan, had the sound down a little bit today, and I could hear all of our voices, because I know that's Ethan's passion and he's right about it, I could hear all of our voices ministering to each other as we sang together, a mighty fortress is our God, did something for my soul that drew me closer to the realities of the gospel and the glory of God this morning that wouldn't have happened if I wasn't here. If I was beholding the reality that I could have really used to sleep a couple more hours this morning, I would have missed it. As we behold him, we're being transformed from moment to moment, from glory to glory. And I'm going I'm to end with this, folks. The, the, the spirit of God's work in sanctification in our life is this, that Christ transformed us through the gospel and has empowered us by the spirit as his law is being written on our hearts as we're beholding him as most important, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, of first importance, he is going to continue to write the law on our hearts and the reality of our justification that we're already declared not guilty is going to begin to be played out in our lives so that as we finish the race, people are gonna see in our lives a letter that depicts an epistle that reflects, like the moon reflects the sun, the glory of God, amen? And folks, our community needs it. North Syracuse needs it. Bonesville needs it. Liverpool needs it. Onondaga County needs to see the reality of the glory of Jesus Christ. And they're gonna see it written on your life as you behold him and as he changes you and as the spirit works in your hearts, you're going to love your spouses better. You're going to love your kids better. You're going to raise them better. You're going to work harder. You're going to interact with your neighbors in such a way that you live up to the Ten Commandments in relationship to your neighbor because of your love for them. That's coming out of this desire you have in your heart and this ability to obey that you didn't have before. And it's because of Jesus. Amen? It's because of what he's doing in us. So live into it. Behold him. Behold him and watch your ability to obey him and to love people better, better change as you do it. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your work. It's you. You give us this ability that we would never have apart from you. Mostly because you saved us. And that changes everything. Like we've seen and I've seen the reality of the gospel displayed in front of me. 
in the life of my in-laws, a change that only you could do, and in the life of so many others in this place. We see your glory. I pray that others would see that in me, that others would see it in each of us as we behold you. Transform our lives. Illuminate your word to our hearts. Change me. Turn me, and I'll be turned. Help me to respond to your work in my life. It's our prayer together this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said.